Welcome to season four of Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where we discuss important matters affecting the rural sector. Aspiring to unlock the potential of the rural economy, the Country Land and Business Association is the membership organisation that provides support and expert advice to landowners and rural business across England and Wales. Welcome to Rural Business Uncovered. Today we're discussing water management and extreme heat. The 2022 summer was notable for the extreme heat with a particular focus on the 18th to 19th of July where temperatures reached excess of 40 degrees Celsius for the first time, breaking the previous all-time temperature record. By 2050, it's expected that such hot and dry weather will become more likely. Along with the health risks of extreme heat, such hot and dry weather can cause heat-sensitive systems to fail, potentially leading to localised loss of power and other essential services uh, such as water. Today we're joined by Alice Green, Policy Advisor on Climate and Water, Steve Moncaster, Broadland Agricultural Water Abstractors Group Membership and Technical Advisor, and Anthony Seaman, arable farmer in North Norfolk, growing combinable crops with irrigation. Thank you all so much for joining us today. To give us a sense of what your roles are, uh, Alice, we'll start with you. What does your background look like as a policy advisor on climate and water? Hi, yeah, so I'm Alice and I've been um, with the CLA covering water resources and climate. So in 2021, the CLA published our water strategy and we set the vision that by 2030, rural land-based businesses have reliable access to water supplies for their current and future needs, are resilient to the risk of flood and drought and recognised for their stewardship of water quantity and resources. So um, no small vision there. Um, And a lot of my work is around sort of influencing with government and trying to make sure that vision actually becomes a reality. Great, thank you. And Steve, what does your role involve? I have uh, around 30 years experience in water resource management uh, planning as a a hydrogeologist and a planner. I've worked for water companies for uh, WRE and now I'm working in the agricultural sector uh, with BAWAG and our work there is really to help prepare our members for the changes that are coming with the transition to to EPR, the, the, the new permitting regulations and everything that goes with them. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us today. Anthony, it's really great having you with us here today. I'm sure you've got a fascinating background as a farmer in North Norfolk. Tell us more about it. Well, I've been farming in North Norfolk now for the last 25, 30 years. We had a con- small farm contracting business moved into contract farming and also renting land on FBTs, uh, which came, irrigation came with it. Uh, and obviously, we weren't not chasing the pound, but we had to uh, enhance our income and improve it. And uh, so we got into growing high value crops such as parsnips, carrots, grass seed, um, vining peas, but also uh, potatoes for crisping and packing. And that's really where it uh, evolved from to move on to being involved with Bowie. So let's start with perhaps the most obvious, the heat of 2022. Anthony, what impacts have, have you seen from the dry summer, both on the environment and on agriculture? Well, it's been quite significant. It certainly was in July because it's one thing to say you have irrigation. It's another thing to be able to use it effectively. And quite a lot of these high value crops, such as potatoes, tend to shut down after 24, 25 degrees. Uh, and it sounds good that they, you know you're watering them and, and it, it looks good but actually 
it's possibly a little bit ineffectual and yields have been and quality have been affected quite dramatically this year and the problem also has been that people have used their water and have run out of water and then they haven't been able to even when it was dry and they wanted to harvest they couldn't actually lift the crop because of the bruising and the damage it was going to do to the crop that was already there uh, and and with margins being tight with various enterprises on the farm you know potatoes are seen as something as a, a, a cushion to help you know and, and, a, and a, a positive enterprise to add value to the farm and so it's been, been quite heavily um, compromised i would say alice have you also seen this across the board yeah, so it's notable that this is not a localised issue. So I think we had six consecutive months of below average rainfall across many geographic regions over the spring and summer. Much of England was in drought. All of Wales was in drought. We were seeing high reporting of low flow incidents, fish kills. Um, and with the heat, we're also seeing quite a lot of wildfire, which the CLA ran a bit of a campaign on to try and reduce those risks. As Anthony shared, there was various restrictions in place. So we, we saw Section 57 spray irrigation restrictions across East Angular. We also saw a lot of hands-off flow restrictions, meaning that although people might have had the licensable quantity, they weren't actually able to use this. And Steve, I guess, you know, this this dry weather, if this dry weather does continue over this winter, what what does this all mean in terms of the outlook for, for farm businesses and crops and livestock as we push into 2023? So, I mean, where, where we are at the minute is uh, we, we come to the end of the summer period, river flows are really low, groundwater levels are low in the aquifers as well. And what, what we need over the winter, a sustained period of above average rainfall to get back to anything like normal conditions uh, going into spring next year. If we, if we don't get that, then, then there's sort of several things that could happen starting off before Christmas, really. If we don't continue to have rainfall, then we're going to struggle to get reservoirs refilled. A lot of the farmers have restrictions on the amount that they can abstract that are linked to flows in the rivers. And if the river flows don't come back quickly, uh, we're going to find that we can't refill these depleted reservoir stocks. And if we go into the spring carrying that deficit and that kind of risk, uh, then it won't be too long before we get into trouble next year. So uh, you, you, you're really looking at um, increased risk of Section 57 restrictions on abstraction. You're looking at reservoirs that don't have enough water in them to carry through to the end of the season. I think we also have to think about what state the environment will be in next year if we have a, a dry winter. Uh, and the kind of problems that we see for farmers will be replicated in, in environmental terms and kind of put more pressure on on abstraction and irrigation and, and, and the rest of it kind of going into summer period next year. So it's anything other than lots of rainfall through till the spring period is, is going to be problematic for the sector, I think. Some uh, slightly you know worrying things there listed, uh, Steve, but but I guess really important when it comes to abstraction and irrigation. Alice, is this is this something that, you know, when we look at the, the business side of farms, we really have to be considering now? Yeah, so security of water supply is really critical for business security. And at the moment, we don't have water for agriculture treated as an essential use in national drought plans. So it is a sector where restrictions will be put in place if as necessary. Um, at the moment, we're, we're seeing reports from members that they're changing their cropping patterns, they're changing the areas of the cropping that they're putting in. 
because unless you have that security of water supply, you can't make those business decisions and invest. Um, and it's also worth remembering there's an impact on livestock as well. So with the growth of, of forage crops. But yeah, as Steve says, with lower than average rainfall, we can expect that the drought will impact into 2023. So looking back, Steve, how could we have better planned for the drought? I guess this isn't just a case of, you know, 2022. This is a, a trend that unfortunately we may be seeing more of. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, I, th- I think I think we're at a bit of a disadvantage actually in 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 the sector. I mean, if you look if you look across at public water supply, they've been preparing and publishing water resource management plans for the for the best part of twenty years now. They go hand in hand with with a set of documents called drought plans as well. So so if you if you look at those guys, you can see that they have they have quite a rigorous planning process that they go through in relation to to what you might consider normal conditions. And then as we get out of normal conditions and go into drier conditions, they kind of have another set of plans, the drought plans, which which get acted upon. And so so a lot a lot of the thinking around planning for drought has been done. The, the, the challenge we have is is that it's, it's not been applied in our sector yet, uh, although Plenty of people do think about droughts and, and kind of getting their businesses ready for periods of water scarcity. But actually, for informal planning terms, we, we don't have a lot to offer anybody else. And, and the problem with that is that abstraction and use of water in, in, in England and Wales is, is highly regulated. You don't have to go too far before you're dealing with the Environment Agency or DEFRA and the government. And for those guys, you know, the language that you have to be speaking really is about is about plans, you know, and planning and your capacity to deal with conditions as they develop. So there, there, there's a lot of technical stuff that is well used in other sectors that we need to think about. That's one set of ideas. The, the other thing that we struggle to deal with is, is there are far more abstractors in agriculture than there are in the public water supply system. So there are hundreds and hundreds of, of individual businesses that abstract water. And so there's a big issue about how you get individual businesses to act collectively in catchments that go into, into periods of water stress. And that and that's a cultural and a behavioural thing, uh, and when you when you sort of add it to the technical issues that we've got, there's there's quite a bit that we could be doing around drought planning that we're not doing at the moment. I have to say we we are making progress with this. So through the Water for Food group, we we have initiated a task and finish group there. Uh, to look at water resource and drought planning in the sector. But that that isn't going to produce anything this winter. It's really uh, looking more into the medium term when we might see the benefits of that. But at least it's a start. Anthony, would you like to share, I guess, some some of your experiences? Going on to say, you were asking about the livestock sector. We've already had one abstractor in our area in North Norfolk who has a dairy unit and and he's had a problem and is probably going to have to consider how many animals he's going to run because he has run out of water or he did this year. And so, you know, the knock-on effect for that is he's not just feeding cows, but he's also, they need to drink, but also he's trying to produce other products that he's diversified into. So I, I think it's a, and going back to what Steve was saying, we we're trying what we're trying to do as a group is to try and build some resilience into this. But also, it's about cooperation. It's also about people collaborating together. And there are and yes, of course, I would say it. it we need all the water we can get, but we need it in a responsible way because we have to consider the environment. And and it's as as important. And being farmers, 
you know, we haven't been no farm, no business. So you've got to look after that. Anthony, you mentioned a few of them there, but could you perhaps expand a bit more on what steps you're taking in response to the drought? Well, at the moment, what we people are, are talking to us now about where, where they should be and what they should do. And the problem with people in my sector when they're irrigating crops, potatoes and things, a lot of these contracts are, are ongoing. The tenure is because you can, you've got a two or three year contract and people are locked into this. So they will be considering whether they buy seed and whether they won't want the seed because if they haven't got the water and they get a section 52 or 57 next year, you know, there's a problem straight away. Sorry, 57. You know, where do you go? We are in long term potato storage. We we are harvesting crops that were planted in the ground in March. They lifted the following September, October, and they stay in the, in the store until the following June because suppliers need continuity. And, and and processes cut if processes aren't getting that then they've got a problem but the problem is will the water be there to deliver the product and and so this is something that is is concerning we we appreciate and i appreciate you can't have a situation where we all want it tomorrow and we must have it it's something that people have got to work together to to, to a common end yeah collaboration uh, is key there alice what are some of the wider pressures on water resources? Well, we've we've spoken about the need of the environment, and I think everyone recognises that it is very important that enough water does remain in in the environment. Um, we're you know we're facing a biodiversity crisis, a climate crisis. I think we mentioned at the beginning that I cover um, climate at the CLA as well as a policy area. There's varying views on what we can expect with scenario planning. But broad brush, we know that we can expect longer, more more frequent periods of drought and then intense periods of rainfall. So the availability of water is changing. The patterns of water are changing. And with that, we're also seeing population growth. So our requirements are increasing. There's a lot of work going on, which Steve's mentioned around water resources planning on a regional scale. And a lot of that deals with the public water supply. A lot of work going on looking at strategic, um, new strategic options, trying to deal with leakage and trying to match that supply and that demand. But for agriculture, for the land management sector, it can be quite difficult because a lot of those solutions don't translate over to the private water supply, which is what many abstractors are reliant on. Steve, do you want to jump in on this as well? I mean, Alice has talked about the the sort of bread and butter issues for water resource management planners. So meeting environmental needs, climate change, drought, all all that kind of stuff is what people like me do in our day job. I I think the big difference between, for example, water companies and and abstractors in in the agricultural sector is is we do kind of abstract and use water for to produce economic goods right we're, we're using it to drive growth and create jobs and and produce value and all of that sort of stuff and we, we know um that's a tough place at the moment so uh, this abstraction this reliance on groundwater to generate uh, value is sort of taking place in an economic environment which is very challenging and it'll be very interesting actually to see how that plays out in terms of um you know, access to water and and the consequences of not having that. How will abstraction licensing reform influence the situation? Everything that we've just spoken about, really, the the thing that's going to make it real for abstractors is abstraction reform, uh, or what's called abstraction reform, or the transition to environmental permitting regulations. The system that we've had up till now was designed in the early 60s. It prioritised abstractors' needs over needs of the environment, Climate change was, wasn't even thought about back then. And although we had drought, it, it wasn't sort of treated 
as technically as it is now. So, so we have this kind of legacy system of licensing abstraction, which is all about to change. And all, all of these pressures that we're talking about that drive water scarcity and reduce access to water, suddenly the regulators have the tools right to convert that stuff into reduced abstraction volumes for farmers i mean i mean there's now a direct link between stuff like climate change drought growth environmental need uh, and the amount that you're permitted to abstract and, and what we'll see as we go through successive common end dates is that catchments where these pressures become acute uh, farmers will have to adjust the amount they abstract and and course that's true for water companies as well so abstraction reform the transition to epr is is massive for farmers and uh, really needs to be you know up, up there with a list of other things that i know that they have to think about also worth mentioning that um although agriculture spray irrigation and private water supplies only abstract around one percent of total abstracted water um, farmers and land managers hold 69 percent of total abstraction licenses in england so the reform that's taking place i would encourage people to engage with it something that will impact the sector yeah can i just add as well the system process and steve will go into more detail if you want him to but the process is going to become a lot more challenging to to achieve the result you want in the end you are going to have to justify it and there's going to be a lot more cost. So it isn't just one of those things that people have because they've always had it. They are going to have to invest quite a significant amount of money and costs into monitoring, but also justification for that license. And the other problem with that will be that these licenses are on are currently possibly on a six-year cycle. So it actually becomes quite difficult to write that cost off over a period of time. And of course, we're having an energy cost challenge at the moment as well so all of a sudden water at uh, 40 pounds an acre inch shall we say applied at uh, the gun is now going to be significantly more than that so th that cost has got to be absorbed by people uh, and fine they have a good year but um, they don't have a good year every year so it's, it's something that really has to be thought out very very carefully it's worth mentioning also that the CLA are involved with the, the move to the EPR, so that's the Environmental Permitting Regime. So uh, the Environment Agency do, does have an advisory group which we sit on, so that will be doing a, a large programme of work over the next year and ourselves and other key stakeholders for the land management and agricultural community will be feeding in. The Country Land and Business Association has been safeguarding the interests of landowners and rural businesses since 1907. Through membership, you gain influence with government policymakers, exclusive and highly valuable knowledge on rural issues, and limited access to tailored advice on all aspects of land ownership from experts, contact with specialist rural services and suppliers, and support from providers who understand your needs on insurance, healthcare, and energy. What steps can farmers take then to, to build resilience? Probably the, the number one thing that they can do, and, and I know this is going to be difficult for 
for lots of people, but they can collaborate, right? They can get together in groups and and actually share some of the costs and the risks and benefits of what of what's coming. I mean, ov- obviously, as the agency gets grips with kind of new licensing system and you know unsustainable abstractions are are stopped, then then there'll be a need for new infrastructure that's expensive, as Anthony was saying. Um, payback periods often aren't what you want them to be. So the, the the really the way to deal with all of that, the way to kind of deal with the planning that's needed and and the upskilling that's needed in this area, is is to work with other people. So collaboration and partnership working are, are probably the number one things for me. I'm going to ask a bit of a road question, but is that something that you know in the speed I guess of change with the environment and in agriculture, is that something that the community generally are you know open to or are are keeping up with because of all the impacts that we're seeing? So, so I mean, having come across from the water companies, I have to, I have to say, what I see is there is a lot of partnership and sort of collaboration. So, so Bowag itself is a network of over a hundred abstractors, mainly in East Norfolk. It's been around for twenty years. So, so that you know, and we have farm clusters, and and you know, if you look more broadly, you'll see groups and you know clusters sort of working together on different issues. So, so I don't, I don't think it's absent from the sector. I, I I do I do think it there's a bit of pace needed, right? So this this stuff is definitely on its way. It's going to happen in the next decade. There's a lot to get your head around technically and in terms of regulation and stuff like that. And I think really, if you want to get on top of it quickly, you 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 have to be forming these groups and sort of buying in services, experts, and and other you know data, all that kind of stuff, uh, and doing it in a in a sort of rational and efficient way. And that, and that basically means you know in a group working in collaboration. Yeah, it's there. I I, I just think there needs to be more of it, and we need to do it more quickly you know there, there, there really is a bit of an issue here Anthony you talked about the importance of collaboration what other steps can farmers take to build resilience well problem shares the problem hard people need to be perhaps a little bit more open and, and farmers possibly are notoriously a little bit secretive my bat my ball I'll play when I want to and I understand that because the farming although we're all farming everybody's situation can be different they are partnerships limited liability companies all sorts of things but the, the necessity is that we have to, we can always do better at these things and, and and to look at collaboration and look at cooperation with people you may have a situation where you have three or four farms in an area that are all irrigating well then why not pull the area and use the farm as one farm or the farms as one farm in other words you you concentrate the the production of vegetables on one particular part of that farm and concentrate the resource there with the water needed uh, and then another year you do it somewhere else and, it, and these there are models where this is happening but also using reusing water um, there's there's quite a lot of water going out to sea every day um, from from the sewage systems or sewage farms because certainly in northeast Norfolk they're very concerned about upsetting the environment by putting unnecessarily uh, or unwanted uh, material into the broads and i've used them as a as an example but just a loose one really because it's the same in any part of the country you don't want um the wrong things getting into the system because it can damage the environment uh, significantly and we don't want that however can this water be filtered are there mitigating circumstances where uh, schemes such as elms or landscape recovery could be used to encourage farmers to to, to provide solutions to the problems in that Land can be used as, as filter systems for water companies 
so that, that water may not be to a drinking water quality, but it can be to a quality that can be used for agricultural purposes. This is something that we really need to look at, I think. Uh, I have seen various schemes in Australia and places where, you know, water is obviously a lot more further up the priority list there, although we're catching up fast. Uh, and there are times where they will look a year ahead and say there will be no allocation for water for irrigation purposes. I think that's not the case now in Eastern Australia because they've got more than they can poke a stick at. But they're still mindful of what's going on and people take the opportunity. So you need the infrastructure in there either for distribution of water around a series of network of underground main or you have a storage facility. Now, there are times when there's more water than we know what to do with. You've only got to look down in, in Suffolk. I know the, the Felixstowe Peninsula have got a project there where they're taking flood water in the wintertime and pumping it back and storing it for use in the summertime. There are things that can be done, and it's not a question of people standing there and holding their hands out and saying, I need this, you've got to help. We can. You will find the agricultural industry can be very resilient and very resourceful. They just need the support of tenure and time. That's what they need. It really well put, Anthony. And I guess, you know, you really hit the nail on the head there with that building of resilience, having that open mind, thinking about kind of the bigger picture there. Alice, is this kind of reflecting true in the government in terms of supporting the sector? What can be done? So I think Angie touched on some really interesting points. The public payments for public goods, that is something that, you know, it needs to, the new schemes do need to deliver for the water environment, the new agri-environment schemes that we're seeing coming through. And, and that's in a variety of ways. It's not just about quantity, as we said, it's, you know, flooding, uh, water quality. There's a lot of scope there. Um, and then there's also new grant schemes coming through. So last year, the government did release the Farming Transformation Fund Water Management Grant, which is for reservoirs. And we are anticipating future rounds of this. And that provides um, capital funding for res new reservoir construction. Reservoirs, obviously, a really important um, source of water. You need to, you know, if you're going to have too much water at some points, not enough at others, being in a situation where you can capture and store water when it's there is obviously a very logical step. Um, but they're very, very expensive and they require planning permission and they do still require an abstraction license, albeit usually a winter refill rather than, for, for example, a summer surface water. Um, so something that we really need to see coming through is a join up between those three strands. We can't just have the grant. We need to have the grant. We need to have the local authorities and Natural England and other statutory consultees on planning applications recognising the need for this infrastructure and the overall benefit that it can provide and the net benefit potentially to the environment as well by taking some of that pressure off in dry periods and we need to have the abstraction licenses in place and that security but that the supply is going to be there for the long term because it is a big investment but I would in encourage people to look at those grant schemes that do come along and sort of know that behind the scenes there's lots of people pushing for for and with that ask for those things to come together. Totally concur with what you're saying and this is where the problem has been not just the farmer saying, I will invest. He needs to know he's got the time for payback, but he also needs to know he can get the planning permission. He also needs needs to know that he can get that support because if he isn't getting that, then the, the, the planets don't line up and, and then we're hanging around for one thing and we haven't got that. We need to have be able to sit down and have a pragmatic, good discussion around the table with, with DEFRA, but also the RPAs and with the planning people so that everybody's singing off the same sheet. 
we all have our part to play and it may be a big part it may be a small part it doesn't really matter but it's an integral part of the jigsaw can you expand a little bit more on the role of a, of a abstractor group steve yeah certainly so so i think abstractor groups have a really important role what we're seeing at the moment as there's sort of more interest in in water and agriculture and agri-food sort of businesses so is a lot of this stuff sort of coming top down so it's been driven through the national framework and you know partly because there are so many abstractors in the sector right so it's kind of easier to kind of start at the top and go down especially if you're thinking about sort of policy and funding issues none of that stuff actually turns into anything real unless the base are really heavily engaged in this and support what's happening and that's really the role of the abstract groups i think is to make that connection to these these groups of farmers individual businesses really to help them engage with things like national framework create capacity for water resource planning and drought planning where it doesn't exist at the moment, at, le- at least in the way that you know colleagues in other sectors would understand it and be able to react to it. So I think as part of this sort of movement into EPR, as part of the changes we'll see over the next 10 years, abstract groups have a huge, huge role to play in terms of facilitating change and really you know, bringing everybody along and, and making sure we get what we need out of all of this stuff. And nobody else can do it for us, right? It has to be farmers and growers organised as abstract groups that do that. I'll just reiterate what Steve was saying. There is, there are, these things can only be really worked from the bottom up and and farmers or the abstractors need to be, need to be the people that are at the sharp end to, to, to make these informed decisions because it's not just about them having it and no one else can. It's about having an open mind and having that collaborative discussion. Um, and it, there is enough there, providing people are going to look after it. That's what they've got to do. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today, Steve, Anthony and Alice. It's been really fascinating talking to you all today and picking the current issues around water management and extreme heat and understanding the roles we all play in helping combat these issues and creating collaborative solutions. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been Rural Business Uncovered. Rural Business Uncovered.